and welcome to Panorama. This is Dan Torres. I am your co-host, and I am today with Sarah Robertson. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Dan. Who do we have on the show today? Well, we have Jody Shaw, who came to, to my attention a few years ago, who worked at Smith College. And I've been following some of the things Jody has been saying and doing, and I, I found it to be a, a different guest than I guess we traditionally have here in Northampton or on Panorama. So I actually wanted to, to engage in a dialogue and conversation. So Jody, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Dan and Sarah. Yeah. So let's let's start with this. A lot of people can read the stories that were written, but I kind of want to give you a chance to kind of maybe summarize what your experience is. Can yes. you talk a little bit about you working at Smith? It seemed like you were rather excited to be back at your, oh, your yeah. alma mater and, and working there. Do you want to talk a little yeah. bit about what you experienced at that time yeah, or summarize I, it? It's hard to talk very little about it. I was at Smith for three and a half years, and this was an ongoing situation for the entire three and a half years. But I was very, very excited to get a job at Smith, and it had always been kind of a dream of mine. As you know, Smith is one of the only big games in town, right? We have Smith right. and Cooley Dick, and, yeah. and I'm a librarian, so there weren't a lot of public librarian opportunities. I wanted to be close to my children. It was just, it was mm. very, it was perfect for me. So I was very excited. So I've, I worked as a, I was hired as a temporary librarian, and one of the first things that happened was as a, specifically as an engagement librarian. So I was hired to engage students creatively in interacting with the library. And so one of my first tasks was to design an orientation, a first-year orientation. I was given a stage. I was given Sage Hall so that I could do the orientation in front of 600 first-year students who were going to be exhausted. And the person who signed that to me told me that she wanted me to do something, quote, wild and crazy. No yeah. boring slideshows about the library. Like wow. You have to do something wild and crazy. These students are going to be exhausted. It's the sixth day of orientation. We will promote it for you and get those students in there if you do something wild and crazy. And so I thought to myself, well, what's the best way to present a lot of very boring information? I have a musical background, so I thought, of course, it's a rap. Of course. And this this was known. It was known I was going to do a rap, and I started working on this many months before the date. That summer, the, about a month before the orientation, there was an incident on campus. You probably heard about it. July 31st, 2018, a black student accused a white custodian of engaging in racially motivated behavior against her. It became very public. You know, at the time, I you know I was busy working on this thing. I was trying to get a permanent job because at this point I was only a temporary hire. Okay. And I thought, geez, that's terrible. Like, how could they? I, like most people, I hadn't heard the whole story. All I heard was Smith really condemning this incident, and now we need all this anti-bias training, and basically implying that the staff are racist, or implicitly so, which is a big problem. And so I didn't really think much of it. I just thought, oh, that's terrible. Like, of all places at Smith College for something so racist to happen. A month later, about a week before the orientation I was supposed to do, uh, my supervisor came into my office and he said, you can't do the rap. And I said, why mm -hmm. not? And he said, because you're white. Oh. And he memorialized this in an email and cited this incident of July 31st, 2018 as one reason why this was not a good idea and you cannot proceed. So the orientation was canceled. You know, a lot of people reduce the whole story to a rap. Right. First of all, the lot yeah. came after that. But this was a, a, an opportunity for me to prove myself to be competitive for a permanent position. So I was in a lot of turmoil because I didn't really understand. I was like, this feels like racial discrimination, but is it? Because I'm getting the message that white people can't be discriminated against. I was very, I hadn't thought a lot about this script. Uh, racism is prejudice plus power, and I have power. 
right? So only I can be racist towards someone else. Nobody can be racist towards me because I'm white. That was the message. Thought, Geez, this really feels like racial discrimination. He literally told me you can't do it because you're white and confirmed that if I had been any other color that, yes, you could do the rap. I asked him that. So that was the first thing that happened at Smith. And to be clear, what was the what was the content of oh, the, the rap? <laughs> this, this was about the library? Yes. yes. It, was, it was about the library. It was an introduction to the library and all of the resources. Were you going to rap the whole time or was it just like a short rap no, in no. the middle? Or, mm-hmm. um, it was like a five-minute rap. And in okay. the beginning, we were going to do internet, like, fun doodle pole stuff, people yeah, from yeah. their phones. I had local musicians coming in. I had the sound okay. set up. I, I, it, was a, it was a lot of work. work Anyone yeah. who's organized an event for that sure. many people knows that I was the point person for everything. And they told you to so. do something kind of crazy. So They did, thing. literally. Yeah. I mean, that was it's complicated at Smith. That was a different department who yeah, assigned yeah. me, but they, they said we can't. Can't be just the boring old slides and, and something. Right, like and that, when you know. I called and told them, look, my supervisor told me I can't do the rap, and yeah. it's four days before, they were right. like, forget it. Let's just cancel it. So it was canceled. I mean, j- just to say like mm-hmm. Eminem and other people, I mean, I don't, I, given the context <laughs> of what happened, there are plenty of, of plenty of white people who rap. So, I mean, okay. It's called a spoken word poem. Spoken word poem. There you go. Well, you I can, told them that yeah. or a patter song. Yeah. I said, it, it doesn't, this has been going on since time immemorial. People, I mean, Ovid, right? Or yeah, <laughs> Homer. Yeah, I mean, back. yeah. Right. Like, um, much of the, like the situation with the black student feeling like they were being targeted on the campus, the decision that you couldn't do the rap anymore kind of also took holds in the public sphere. <laughs> yes, that became and, a very yeah. <laughs> if you Google Jody Shaw, one of the first things that comes up is a uh, uh, Rolling Stone. Uh, Rolling Stone yeah, got the it right. On. The new something about new right wing cancel culture hero or something. It's, it's just about the rap. Mm. <laughs> um, well, we're talking here on Panorama with Jody Shaw, a reluctant activist and artist. How do you define today your political viewpoints and uh, how do you identify politically? Well, most of my life identified mm. as a liberal. And I must say that I'm not actually a very political person. I probably voted in the, I'm 50 years old and I voted, I think, three times for president. <laughs> in my life. I was a card-carrying member of the Socialist Party in my 20s without really looking back, without really knowing exactly what that meant. sounded really good to me, the the surface kind of stuff. I've always identified as a liberal, and in fact, that's why I moved back to Northampton from New York City, is because I always remembered it as this kind of liberal utopia, a freedom of speech, and anything goes, and you can be who you are and be who you want. And um, I agree with a lot of liberal tenants that are still exists, which is universal health care, although now I see the problems with that. The thing is, the, the ground underneath us has shifted so radically that even if I call myself a liberal now, mm. it, it doesn't... Other liberals have moved so far to the left that it makes it... I'm reluctant to call myself a liberal, but I still believe in the fundamental liberal ideals tenets. of liberalism. How do you think being a woman has shaped your political viewpoints. And also, you attended Smith College. Do you you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I went to Smith in 1989, and I graduated in 93, and I was very happy to be at Smith. I was very happy to be at an all-women's college. It's a very unique experience for a woman. All the class presidents are women. All Mm. of the top athletes are women. All of the Elastic Achievement Awards go to women. So, Mm. uh, And I saw a lot of personalities are able to unfold there. They, I don't think they would when there's men around. That's just a reality. And I was very, very proud to be a graduate of Smith. As far as 
what has shaped my identity. Yeah, or how has being a woman shaped your sort of political viewpoints, do you think? Well, you know, to be honest, as stated, I never really considered myself a political person. I think I was pretty much just going along with the liberal side, very much pro-choice now, which I want to point out is called Um, pro-abortion. I'm still pro-choice. And things like that, I, I don't think that actually... And, and also, you know, like sexism, these are things that I learned at Smith, the patriarchy and all that, very much a, just a simple believer in all those. And it was only recently with my experience at Smith that I started really doing a deep dive into pretty much everything that I'd been told about these kinds of issues and, and things. So to say that it's being shaped by being a woman, I don't think really anymore. My politics are much shaped at all. I would say child care and child rearing has definitely shaped my politics in terms of, again, it's complicated. You're asking really complicated Katie questions. questions. No, yeah, like I'm the sorry, two, this... two, two uh, parents working, just how difficult that mm-hmm. is, and the fact that we don't have a very robust childcare system that's mm-hmm. affordable for women. That's right. that's definitely a concern of mine. But I, yeah. I, I can't say I think being a woman shaped my politics probably early on, but it was more of like a script. And now I've less and less so as since I've gotten older, especially since this experience. become more complicated and, and mixed much, up, right? Much more complicated, yeah. And um, as I dig down deeper, I, being a woman influences me less and less. Sure. So let's go back to you working at Smith College. Talk about your, your departure from Smith College and what happened there, if you don't mind. Just to go back, I, I moved out of the library. I left the library. I left the, this atmosphere, the, the academic side, and went into more uh, student support that I could maybe escape this ideology. And so I, I started working for ResLife. Little did I know ResLife is very much focused on social justice and so things kept happening that I, f- I thought were unacceptable, and I was, I was asked to participate in discussions talking about my race and things like that. And I decl- for the most part, I just kind of kept my head down and my mouth shut. Uh, so many, many things happened. There are many examples. If anyone wants to read my complaint, they can. But the final, I guess, straw that broke the camel's back was in January 2020, I was mandated to attend a professional work development retreat, and I was told ahead of time, that, yes, you will have to talk about your race at this retreat. And by now, after years of being told I have to do this and me starting to really think about this and how wrong it is, I had decided I didn't was no longer going to be discussing my race at work and, and would not participate in any such discussions. And my supervi- I, I explained this to my supervisor, and she said, then no problem, just, just say you're uncomfortable doing that at the retreat. So I showed up to the retreat. Facilitators went around the table and asked everyone to talk about their race in the context of their childhoods. Now we have two things I don't want to talk about at work. (laughs) (laughs) And it got to me. Everyone went around and said stuff. And it got to me and I just said, I'm uncomfortable discussing my race at work. And a little later, I was the only one to do so. A little later, the facilitator said, we want to be clear that anyone who, any white person who is displays discomfort or expresses discomfort in discussing their race when asked to is not actually really uncomfortable. What they're doing is a power play, and it's called white fragility. And so now I've come to a point where I can no longer simply abstain from the discussion. Now my abstinence has been framed as an act of aggression. So now I I can either say the the line, the script, or you're, you're... you're being aggressive and you're being racially hostile, whatever else there is in sure. white fragility thing. So that was really the line 
when I realized I'm going to have to say something. This is wrong. And by now I'd learned more about the July 31st, 2018 incident and just how incredibly wrong it was. Can you say a little bit about July 31st? There was an independent investigation, if, if I was yes, reading this, and they, they came to was, the conclusion that there wasn't a racial bias. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. Um, however, the college proceeded with, in full force and momentum with implementing policies, programs, initiatives aimed at combating the implicit racism on campus. They, they announced the launch of these initiatives even before they started the investigation. So then they did the investigation and they found there was no bias, but the president, when she announced the findings, said, we want to be clear, however, we cannot rule out implicit bias. And in continuing all these programs and mandatory anti-bias trainings and so on and so forth, they kind of sent the message that, yeah, we still think it was racism. That's how I interpret it. And so the, there were, it's a very complicated story, but uh, basically there were three employees whose livelihoods, two whose livelihoods were destroyed and three who were two plus another one who was, their, their lives were upended, Up completely ended, yeah. upended. Um, and the college didn't take responsibility for that. If I can share here with the audience about this, I when I was an undergrad, I I worked in Res Life at oh, UMass. Really? Oh yes, and I'll tell you this. <laughs> no, I, I it's interesting how what you said about social justice. Like we had those conversations, but in the spaces we did, nobody would have mistreated somebody else who just said, I don't want to talk about it or I don't want to, because there was, that happened plenty of times. And, and in fact, nobody was called out and no, there was no mandate to say everybody mm -hmm. in around the room needs to share. It was supposed to be a space that people got to talk about issues and kind of process them. And it's interesting to see how there, well, I finished in what, 06, 07 in that era. Mm -hmm. So it's like 13 years, you know, 13 years later, how it's changed, certainly targeting somebody and it would, you would have never been targeted, especially a woman in the social justice. I mean, to, to go out and say that even if your race is white, I would have stood up and said, you know, you targeting somebody because they happen to be white, despite the fact that that's all you see in them and not the complexity is in violation of your own ideology. Your, your simplistic understanding of mm -hmm. a human being is to say, no, 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 you have white skin, you have certain privileges, but it's like, that might be true to some extent, but my complexity is actually factored into so many different variables, which mm -hmm. is why I asked you about being a woman and how that has shaped you, mm -hmm. I, your, your viewpoints, because I think sometimes people say, well, whiteness trumps being over, over a woman. And I would say, wait a minute, let's look back at a history, yes, there is plenty of racism in this country, and there's plenty of racism in a lot of countries, but black men did get the vote, black men, not black women, in 1870. We're legally allowed to vote, but then repressed violently oftentimes from voting, but 50 years before white women got the vote. So again, if you begin to analyze history a little, a lot more diversely, you begin to see how it's like not that easy to just make an assumption about people despite having certain powers and privileges, which I believe in my own ideology, largely comes from money. Yeah, something you just said, I mean, um, when you asked about me being a woman and how that's shaped my sure. politics or my identity, I think it's safe to say that, yes, many a number of things have shaped our, our identities, but we don't know what they are until we ask somebody. So if a student or anybody comes to me and says, hey, I have black skin and here are the ways it has influenced my life and affected me, mm -hmm. I'm gonna be like, okay. But I'm not going to make that assumption for them. I'm not going to assume that your skin color has created who you are or dictates your history or much less your fate in life. That's what this ideology does. It yeah. tends to reduce people, like you said. It's, it's very dehumanizing. It's a simplistic understanding. And if we understand history, look at Franklin Roosevelt. 
I mean, a beloved figure, if I go and pull people in Northampton in Western Massachusetts, but then I bring up, you know, the internment camps, right, as an example of something that he mm -hmm. did that I'm sure a large of them would ignore, but they mm -hmm. would be like, but look at all the amazing stuff he did. It's like, yeah, and then he put people, he, during World War II, you know, put people into camps, took their properties away and put them in there. It's like, you have to, and ready, and made a lot of deals with segregationists in his own party in order to pass the Unemployment Act, the Social Security Act. He himself had to deal with race and grapple with it, but said, I got to make these changes on, on social economic policies. Then I can also grab a guy like Nixon, who I don't agree with, and most people in Northampton probably wouldn't agree with. Here's a guy who proposed and passed Clean Water Act, Clean Air Act, wanted mm -hmm. national health insurance, which, you know, we would have saved so much money had they passed it in 1974, whenever that happened. And that mm -hmm. comes from Richard Nixon, a guy whose ethical and moral standards, in my opinion, are pretty low, among the lowest. But again, it's what, again, it goes back to one answer. People are complex. And if an ideology mm -hmm. wants to simplify and base it based on something visual, I disagree with that. Now, we can have conversations about that, but I fundamentally don't make simplistic assumptions because if you just look back at history, you can see how the figures we love make mistakes. Figures we well, hate do yeah, good it, things. It's not just people are complex. There's also a complete, in this ideology, well, we'll call it woke ideology, there's a complete dismissal or... Yeah, of context. Context is very, very important, and our identities are shaped in large part by the context that we're in. Um, so my being a woman in Western Massachusetts is going to be a very different experience than my being a woman in South Africa right. or Germany. That's I don't like that and the, the, at all. What I wanted to ask you was, uh, how much do you think uh, Smith College's position, it was them sort of placating or supporting students who are in many ways the paying customers. Yes. And I think it comes down oftentimes to a money issue that they, they perceive that if we are labeled something that we are not, then we might lose students, we might lose donations, we might lose admissions, and they're more concerned about maybe a brand. So here I'm sort of analyzing from a corporate standpoint mm -hmm. than protecting that. And then we got to take a break. But I was curious to ask you that question. What do you think? Oh, I, I want to say 100 percent, but mm -hmm. <laughs> I think there are some actual true believers in the administration who actually believe in this. But I, I if I, I'm guessing here, I think very, very close to many of them don't really care about social justice. Mm. Um, I use that in lowercase. Otherwise, they wouldn't have thrown these employees under the bus. There was a lot of class issues going on at right. that get ignored. There's a lot of people with disabilities who are completely ignored. Uh, there's no elevators in a lot of buildings, for example. That kind of stuff drove me crazy. I'm like, but we're supposed to be, you know, caring about people. And, and, and I just felt like, you know, we're focusing so much on race and gender and not at all on the things that on actual actual instances of discrimination that were occurring daily. And so I don't think this I don't think this is about quote social justice end quote at all. I think it is a lot about keep the Smith name mm -hmm. and the logo and keeping up appearances and being as a as a promoter of whatever yeah. Smith called yeah. But it, it's also yeah, but I want to clarify here yeah, and yeah. say that in doing that they are perpetuating racism. In, it doesn't matter why, like it, whether it's for corporate, for appearances, or because they actually believe in the ideology, they are perpetuating racism, asking me to look at somebody and judge who they are, make an assumption about their history or their future or anything about them based on their skin color is, by definition, racial prejudice. And that is what they are asking people to do. To make decisions and treat them differently based on that. Based on their race, yes, mm -hmm. or other immutable characteristics. Well, we're talking here with Jody Shaw here on Panorama, reluctant activist and artist in Northampton. 
How do you think we got to the state of having universities, as you say, promote a certain ideology that I'd say like this this yeah. like heavy emphasis on i like personal identity, identity. Yeah. yeah well and, it's not actually personal identity that's no. a lot yeah. of students go to college and they it's a very identity expanding experience right that's where you're coming of age and where you very much are developing an identity but this is a very different concept of identity uh, this is uh, your social identity right isn't that what they call it um, and it's it's known as identity politics yeah. right yeah how did how did we get here well, there are a lot of theories, Dan and Sarah. <laughs> a lot of people think it's, it was Marxism. It's a holdover from uh, Marxism. It's a cultural Marxism as opposed to an uh, economic, economic yeah. determinism. Yeah. So I, I don't actually, I don't actually spend a lot of time thinking about the theory or mm-hmm. the academic theories or how we got here because I can see with my own eyes that the outcomes are very, very bad. And so to me, that's how I, I work back from outcomes. Is this resulting in an improved? culture or a, a more better, a more connected community, as Smith claims to want? And the answer is no, very loud no for me. It's not. And so something's very, very wrong. Um, so I, I'm not I'm not clear on how we... It definitely came from the universities and colleges, though. Yeah. I know that. Yeah. I, I mean, I think of it as there's a lot to it. And I, I don't know if Marxism is the right term, but I also hear a lot about postmodernism connected yeah. into that. And there's this conversation yes. which could all be interrelated, well, and it's very interesting. Foucault, yeah. which has some problematic viewpoints, and we can talk about. And he's like single-handed, really responsible for all this, but supposedly. He, he, he is, yeah, and I and I think that's also going back to our earlier conversation about simplicity. I think it's too simple to blame one philosopher or yeah. just to say <laughs> it might have emanated from debates in universities, but how it got to be mainstream, incorporated into the milieu of right. the higher education system because you know I begin to read articles about professors at Portland State was a very famous case of a professor in oh, the Peter philosophy B- Peter Bogosian B- yeah. and, and he wrote an article uh, Sarah I will show you later um, basically a completely made up article <laughs> but it sounded like social justice oriented article and he submitted it to journals and it got published and mm. it was beyond parody I mean, it was crazy yeah, it was what they like, said. Um, dog park in or dog some, park. Yeah. Like amongst dogs. I, I don't know. Something along yes. those lines. He did it with two other authors, Helen Pluckrose and James Lindsay. And James Lindsay. Yeah. And it got published by the academic they, standards. They published several articles. And actually, then they yeah. punished him for it, for saying it, he violated academic integrity. And again, that might be a small isolated case. I actually think the universities, there are many good things going on, and I can point to some universities making changes, and not all universities are these examples, but there is a a rot that needs to be fixed, and I don't know exactly how to fix it except to expose it sometimes and talk about it in having conversations and hoping that that changes people's minds. But there are some things in the university that should at least be openly debated. I don't know what the solutions are. I don't know if it should all be democratically agreed upon or whatever. But I, I wanted to to bring uh, you a question here, Jody, that I was thinking to myself in having this conversation. What role do you think institutions of, of learning should have in promoting justice, racial, gender, and other groups, not necessarily what's going on now. What do you foresee institutions doing uh, that could ameliorate some of those things? Or do you think they should have any role at all? Boy, I don't know. I think um, if we're talking about theories, that's one thing. Mm. I'm not against theories, Mm -hmm. such as critical race theory, because it is a 
theory. It is an idea. Mm -hmm. There's no way to get rid of it even if you wanted to because it is literally an idea. It's not like a in the ground that you can bury. So I, it's all very well and good for professors to teach any theory that they, that they want. Um, but like you said, I think it's important for students to be able to engage with the theory and grapple with it and mm. argue against it or for it and pick things out that don't seem good. I mean, that's, but that's now we're getting back to the foundations of liberalism. Yeah. That is a, a liberal um, enlightenment value. And that is what is not happening. The problem is these theories are becoming policies and they're being enacted on the ground to hurt people. Just at, when you say you identify as a liberal, a question that I've asked people before is what's the difference between a liberal and a leftist? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> how do you say, I don't know how to define that precisely, but I don't know if you have yeah. anything to say about that. Well, yeah, I, I think there's a difference. I always identified as coming from the left, but now a leftist to me is somebody who is pushing this CRT and the ideology. I mean, I don't know. I, I still think of myself as being on the left. I actually am probably more in the middle now just because the left has gone so far hard left. But th these, you know, people talk about Nazi Germany and who's that other guy? A Mus number of Mussolini. the, of, yeah, Mussolini, a number of these people who had leftist yeah. origins. He was a socialist. Yeah, these are all leftist movements, and this one doesn't really feel very different from that. Mm. Um, and that's it's very, very hard left. So maybe looking back, we can say that the left prior to this was actually not that hard left or not that left at all. I don't know. It feels like the ground shifted so much that now I'm now if somebody else looked at me in my quote politics, they would probably call me a centrist or maybe even a conservative, an old school Republican. Republican. I mean. yeah, old school Republican. <laughs> yeah, even though I never so, think of myself that way, but. See, what's what's caused me to moderate myself is to start understanding the complexity of how democracy functions. Because I feel like my own ideology was left. And then maybe in the last four or five years or six years, I've kind of begun to feel that if democracy is under threat, there has, we have to be more introspective and in looking at the complexities that exist in society and trying to form new bonds with each other. Now, I think both sides have kind of gotten to polarization and extremes, and they want to capture moments to kind of use it to, as, a, as a tack on other sides in order to gain some political favor. Because I, I, you know, I also see both sides can do it and we can kind of pinpoint one ideology as worse than the other based on what our experiences show. And I just think that it's deeper than left or right. I think it's something building up in our culture. And I think in some ways it's also, you, you mentioned something uh, about students maybe mm -hmm. listening in colleges to mm -hmm. ideology. And my issue isn't so much with the professors and what I, whatever ideology they want to talk about in their classroom. My deeper issue is analytical skills because you have to be analytical with your professors. I can't be in a classroom, listen to the professor and say, I am going to agree with this. This is perfect without at least taking and stepping back and saying, is this ideology correct? What are the analysis? How do I criticize it? Even yeah, if I love it. It's not, it's not like they're saying you can't agree with this. That's the problem with this situation. Like my situation in the, in the uh, professional development retreat. Imagine the pressure of a student disagreeing with one of these tenants in a paper. It's not that, no, you're not allowed to do that. It's more, okay, you can do that, but we think you're a white supremacist if you do that. 
There's almost nothing worse that you can call someone than a racist or a white supremacist. And who wants that kind of pressure? In my case, it was white fragility. They, they didn't say, you're not allowed to not say anything. They didn't say that. But the pressure I experienced and the hostility I experienced after I abstained and was called out and publicly humiliated was very intense. That is an intense pressure. So imagine a 19-year-old or a 20-year-old right. getting the mess very strong message that mm, I can't agree. I mean, technically, I got, sorry, I can't disagree. Technically, I could disagree, but if I do, oh my God. And it's, it's not just other people are gonna think I'm a white supremacist. This stuff goes so deep that the student in and of themselves would think that maybe I'm a white. Because I, I mm -hmm. thought that when they said you can't mm -hmm. do the rap, I thought, am I racist because I wanted to do a rap and I'm white? Like, gee, maybe I am. Like, maybe they're right. I, I was really doubting myself. And I'm like, you know, I was almost 50 years old at that point, a grown woman, all my life experience, very confident. And I questioned myself. So I'm just imagining what goes on in the mind of a 19-year-old. They're away from, from home for the first time, and they're being told that if you think a certain way, you are racist. So I, they're not going to dare disagree. Mm. I see. <laughs> and, and if you don't know the vocabulary. Oh, that's that, a big one, yeah. Yeah. I, um, I find that I don't know the vocabulary to talk about certain aspects of gender. Yeah, and that's a big it, one. And it makes it like, so I want to demur to these things. And it kind of goes yeah. with talking about race, too. Like, I don't know how to talk about it, so maybe I won't, and I hesitate to... Yeah, so they, 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 being the, the people who are promoting this ideology, they yeah. created this language, right? It's very academic. It's been going on in academia for a long time where mm -hmm. it's, it's an elite thing. It's a class issue where the elite have a special language. This goes back, I think, France. Like this is, yes. this, is a, this is a big thing with language, like inventing their own discourse. And then anyone who doesn't know it is, uh, you, 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 now, you're, now you have external markers for who's in and who's out. And not knowing the language is one very effective way of making people really doubt themselves and feel like, mm, these people seem to know what they're talking about and I don't really know what these words mean, so I'm, I'm going to go along with it because obviously they know better. These people have PhDs. It's, it's part of this uh, unspoken pressure to conform and, and go along with it and thinking that, oh, geez, like I don't know as much as these people. They know these big words. So, yeah, I think the language is a, a big big deal. It's very hard to argue against something if you don't know what the hell they're talking about. I think I need to take a break. We're talking here with Jody Shaw, former employee at Smith College, reluctant activist and artist. Jody, I'm talking a lot about culture, higher education, but talk a little bit about uh, what you're doing now. So you left. That must have been, you have a family. Uh, can you talk I more do. about the personal uh, <clears throat> oh, gosh. changes, how, how that impacted yeah, you? Yeah, that was hard leaving Smith, which I consider a constructive dismissal because by the time I made a video and I'd been on Tucker Carlson, I mean, the hostility was so, there was, it was no longer, I could no longer function in that work environment because of the hostility directed toward me. So I left and I did uh, negotiate with Smith about a possible settlement. And in, I remember sitting in front of my wood stove thinking, oh my God, oh my God, what am I going to do? I have kids. And I decided in the end that the psychic pain of continuing to go along with this and not and potentially not being able to speak out because I had signed an NDA was greater than the pain of that I might face speaking out and being rejected and socially censured and possibly fired and, and all that stuff. So that's why I spoke out and I left and that's why I left Smith. And so since then, I mean, the media, it's been a media firestorm for a while, long time. I ended up releasing the rap, I'm very happy to say, because I am a musician, and so that was good. I released the rap, and that's on YouTube. And what I'm doing now 
is I am writing the story of oh. what happened at Smith. And it is from the viewpoint of both an alum and as a former staff member. And so uh, I'm really enjoying it. It's, it's a book. I'm writing a book. And uh, I also have a sub stack. I write essays. And I have a locals community. I don't know if you know what locals is. It's I Dave, don't. It's Dave Rubin's platform. It's a freedom of speech platform. No no fear of being shut down. I run a community there f- for peer support for other people who are in these kinds of situations in their workplace or school or community. Is it specifically for higher education or could it be anyone? No, it's anybody. And let me tell you, this is not just in higher ed anymore. Really? This is everywhere. It's in the medical schools, um, the social work schools. Psychotherapists yeah, yeah. are now learning this racial identity model of psychological development where they they have a different kind of therapy for white people versus non-white people. It's, it's in the schools, K through 12 schools. It's in my kids' school. Uh, it's it's everywhere. Sports. I, I mean, you, name I, it. Mm-hmm. you know, I want to go into at least saying like the things we propose also need to capture the complexity, the historical complexity of things. And I think that that's the issue. It's like I can agree that there has been racism in this, in this country. There has been misogyny. There has been a lot of these things. The solutions are are heavily complex because I understand an individual just based on their race or just well, on their gender. It's not only that they don't. They're not solutions. They are actively Working against us. Yeah, and working against us, they're actively racist. They're actually sexist. Um, Mm. If you're saying that racism is pervasive everywhere and implicit, then what does that mean when somebody actually commits an act of racism, Racism. right? (laughs) Like these thought crimes, okay, you're thinking about racism or somewhere in your psyche, you're harboring racist motives just because you're white. Like what about an actual act of racism that kind of uh, deletes it in a way? And same thing with sexual harassment. It exists. But when we think that um, a man is walking around just sexually harassing women just for having thoughts or, or doing nothing, looking at somebody the wrong way, then what does that say about somebody who's actually been sexually Because it happens at work. You know, it's like you work late hours, people in there and, and you know, and men would be like, oh, I was hitting on her. I think she kind of likes me. And then they go and start hitting on you. And she's like, no. So, I mean, there's, I mean, those are real incidences that do happen in the country and, and people can get away with it. I mean, we've seen it with other people in Hollywood, uh, mm-hmm. other figures. The uh, complexity yeah. is big, though. I, this this conversation completely eradicates any complexity. It's mm-hmm. at risk of sounding too we're, on we're point. Thinking. It's very black and white thinking. And the way we've kind of been talking about this, I don't want it to seem like we think the woke ideology taking over is some sort of concerted effort. It It, mm. it, it seems like more of, I don't know, a, a reaction I, to... I, Something. Yeah, it is a reaction to a lot of things. And, and it's fear. I, it's fear. Mm-hmm. And also, I think what you said, Jody, is something about the French uh, ideology. Yeah. This is this has been <laughs> bubbling in. And I think it fits in with the culture of the Internet culture. Anybody can say anything. And if other people agree, then it automatically gets elevated <laughs> into an ideology. And I know that that's a pretty big topic. And I'm not blaming the Internet, but in many ways how social media exists and how it perpetuates identity it does. it does have a huge hold on this it's so interesting yes. that something that's created so much information and data and all of these value points can at the same ways begin to become illiberal totalitarian mm-hmm. both from the right and left it's so interesting that it, the internet itself can be shaped in what i'm criticizing as this postmodernism that says anything you say is true because you said it and you experienced it, so it must be true because it happened to you as an individual. Everything's subjective. Everything yes, is subjective. Right. And I look at the world and saying, I don't necessarily agree with that. I think there is 
things that are closer to the truth than not the truth. Sorry, I'm going off on. There is on no objective truth. That's There's, Foucault. That's Foucault. Foucault. Yeah, and, yeah and, which basically was to justify his own lifestyle. Yeah, which you know, which is, <laughs> could be a whole episode, Jody. I mean, it's <laughs> yeah. and, and I think we could be dissecting that from many angles. Good, but yes. we, it's, it is time to wrap up here on Panorama. So I'm really glad, Jody, that you were willing to come on and share your experiences and stories. And you know what? If people listened and didn't like it, you know, they have a let lot of know. options. Well, <laughs> they can let me know. Or send me an email. <laughs> send me an email and they can criticize it. It's yep. fine. They can. And you have your own platform and voices. So people That's are right. allowed to use it in, in some ways, although it is manipulated. So I got to go. But thank you so much, Jody Shaw. Thanks, Dan. A reluctant activist and artist here in the local Northampton area. And then Sarah Robertson. Thanks a lot yep. for, for joining me today. Thanks, Sarah.